0: So this morning, we will be reading from the book of Acts, and Jack Merrill, our youth minister, will be reading, will be reading for us this morning, and so direct your attention to the scripture. Yeah, that's me. Um, anyways, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, so if you have your Bible or your phone, um, it'll be on the screen as well, um, but we're going to read the entire chapter of Acts 2. So as we as a church have been going through this series of the story of God from tree to tree, um, we're going to look at what does Acts 2 have to tell us about the church? You know, what does it have to tell us? You know I loved hearing Randy talk about Danielle and how you could see Danielle was very um, kind of serious of how she was approaching baptism. and She's diving into Exodus. And I think we as a congregation should focus in today as I read this scripture over you. Hey, what is the church telling us? What should we be doing? How should we be acting as a congregation? So as I read this over you, as you read along, just kind of maybe highlight some things. Or maybe like, hey, what are some things that the early church is doing? Hey, are we still doing those today? Should we? Should we not? Because um, I know Justin's going to give us a good word today about that. But I'm going to read Acts chapter 2 over us real quick. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw, they saw the tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as a spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard from speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites? Those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea in Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Peter stood with the eleven, raised his voice and reclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken." Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me, and you will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about this patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended in the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know that the certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, "'Brothers, what should we do?' Peter replied, "'Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for their promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call.'" With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank to God. Thank you, Jack T. Merrill. Uh, My name is Justin, and it is my honor and privilege to get to be with you on this fine Sunday morning, Uh, something that we, the church, have been doing for a long time. Uh, Jesus, last week we learned, uh, resurrected early Sunday morning, and since then, believers have been gathering all over the world, starting in Jerusalem, spreading to Judea, Samaria, And to the ends of the earth, till the ripples of the gospel reached places like Stillwater, Oklahoma. And we come to a text like Acts chapter 2, a little bit behind the eight ball. Pentecost is not just one moment in which something amazing happened, like the Holy Spirit coming and descending onto the Christians, but something that the Jews back then would have celebrated every year. 50 days after the Passover, so this group of people that this text is describing, probably many of them, if not most of them, were at the Passover that this Jesus guy was killed out just a few weeks earlier. They would have had a pretty decent understanding of The Old Testament scriptures. In fact, Pentecost was a time in which they gathered in Jerusalem to remember, to celebrate, to commemorate the time in which God gave the Torah, God gave the law, specifically to the time in which, I don't know if you can tell, but these brown triangles, these are mountains. symbolizing Mount Sinai when God met with the people of Israel after they left Egypt. And he uniquely came and dwelled in that place for a particular time in a particular purpose. And as God descended on that place, things began to shake. Literally, the mountain began to shake. And there was like smoke everywhere. And there was wind and thunder. And there was fire. And it became very obvious that God was doing something unique here at this mountain at Mount Sinai. The, the people in Jerusalem at Pentecost on that Sunday, they would have understood what was going on. They were very aware of texts like that. They were also actually aware of texts like the prophets. The prophets that promised things like no longer will the law be written on stones but it'll be written on people's hearts. And they would have been familiar with texts like Ezekiel chapter 37 where God promised this prophet named Ezekiel that there would be this like valley of dry bones that represented his people that were dead spiritually. And that he would breathe out, that his spirit would pour out, that his ruach would come out and he would raise them up. That bones would become flesh again, that they wouldn't decompose because of death and sin, but his spirit would come and recompose them to raise them up. And Ezekiel sees it through this vision that there was going to come a time when God's spirit, God's breath, God's wind would come and make bones living again. They would have been familiar with texts like Joel chapter 2 that promised that the promises of God, the blessings of God would come, that I would pour out my spirit on all flesh. Like Isaiah chapter 61 that said that one would come in which was in the line of David whose spirit would uniquely dwell and fulfill all of my promises. They would have been very familiar with that. These are devoted people, people who are in with God, in with the word. They're willing to to travel, to celebrate, to commemorate. They were ready, they anticipated, they were hopeful that God would actually do finally what he was always saying he was going to do. But somehow, those people missed it. You see, on that particular Pentecost, Peter and about 120 people were praying and all of a sudden, there was like rushing wind in the room that they were in, and there was like flames of fire coming and descending upon them, reminding them of different times in the past when God had come down in a particular place for a particular reason and done something amazing. It seemed like God was doing something amazing now. And They actually knew. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus himself said, you're supposed to go to Jerusalem, wait a few days, and I'm going to send you the gift that I promised you before. I'm going to send my spirit to you. And then he did what he told them that he was going to do, but still shocking nonetheless. He, right before their eyes, ascended back to the right hand of God. And as you probably would too. They were just sitting there like, okay, he, he did. He's really gone. Uh, he ascended. He just, I don't know, floated up there. And they were probably shocked, wondering what exactly was going on. And then an angel of the Lord appears. Quit looking up. Time to look ahead. Time to go. Do what Jesus said to do, to be his witnesses in all the places that he is going to send you. I don't know if you remember in John chapter 16, verse 7, but Jesus hinted at this idea that it was actually going to be better for them. Now, Now think about this. The people who got to walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, eat with Jesus, be discipled by the discipler himself. He looked at them and he said, it's better for you if I go back to heaven so that I can send to you this Holy Spirit. I don't know that, how that hits you. I'm not sure how it hit them, but it's, it seems crazy to me. If I had to choose in my own flesh, in my own stupidity and ignorance, as if I knew better than Jesus himself, if I could have Jesus walking beside me or the Spirit dwelling in me, I probably would have chosen like the disciples Jesus walking beside me. But Jesus, God in the flesh, the one who's a little smarter than me and you, the one who's been around a little longer than me and you, actually eternity past, said it was better for him to go, to be at the right hand of the Father where he is now ruling over all created things and to send the Spirit. And that moment which he foretold, that moment which Joel foretold, that moment which Ezekiel foretold, that was coming true here. And the people in Jerusalem were confused. Confused. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Think about being in a foreign country or just being in like a metropolis of some kind with lots of, Or just think about being in the middle of OSU's campus with all the different countries of people represented there and they're speaking and it looked like they're supposed to be from one place, but they actually are speaking in your own language. Speaking with your own accent. And you're kind of turning your head like, this This doesn't seem right. This is kind of strange. Those people in Jerusalem from, from all over the known world who had come there to pay tribute to the Lord and what he has done, they were turning their head a bit, confused. What is going on? Some of the more cynical folks were thinking maybe they're, they're drunk. They got a little too excited on this Pentecost. As you know, people do. Pentecost gets crazy sometimes. Um, no, it was only 9 in the morning, which is an interesting answer to that. No, it was only 9 in the morning. Okay. What you're not seeing, and Peter stands up, and he starts to help fill in the gap. Okay. You're confused. You, ironically, the one who seems to know the Bible so well and are so devoted to the Lord, you're confused, so let me fill in the gap at, as to what's happening here's what he says it's not that we're drunk on the contrary this is what was spoken through the prophet joel verse 17 and it will be in the last days the last days not someday in the future from now but the last days that started when jesus did his work and his crucifixion death resurrection and ascension that's when the last days started according to the bible says, God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I'll even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I'll display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood because... The great and glorious day of the Lord has come. God was doing something unique in this place at this time. His presence was coming to dwell here in a way that he had foretold that they, at some level, maybe should have expected. Because he's already told them, and they've read it, and they've maybe memorized it, and they've talked about it. They've maybe even taught it to their own children, but somehow they were not connecting the, to- the dots. And then this is what Peter says, this very next verse. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So th- this moment which we've been waiting for, of God finally sending his spirit on to us, which the law would no longer just be written on stone tablets, but actually on our hearts. It's come. And now in these last days, you're going to have to call on a particular name of someone. The Lord of Adonai, of God. God. Who is this one? Who is this Lord? Who is this Adonai? That's the question that would have raised up in their head. And that's the question that the spirit inside of Peter led him to say. And here's what he says in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This is Jesus of Nazareth. You remember Jesus. Jesus, the one who God proved his own identity through based on the the signs and the miracles and the wonders and the teachings that he was doing. That Jesus who you doubted, that Jesus you didn't just doubt, that Jesus who you let wicked and lawless men take to a Roman cross. That Jesus, you remember that Jesus who you chose a guy named Barabbas instead of. Barabbas, like a murderer, an insurrectionist, a guy who I guess, well, he'll just at least take out some more Romans. as Jesus isn't going to do anything. We'll take Barabbas. You chose him. You remember Jesus? Jesus, the one who you said, crucify him, though he had done nothing wrong. You said, crucify him. You remember that Jesus? That Jesus was actually the one that Joel spoke about. That Jesus was actually the one that David spoke about. Remember what happens to people after they're crucified? They stay in a tomb, and their bodies rot. But this Jesus, he didn't. This Jesus was the one that David talked about. This Jesus was the one who his body didn't see decay. This Jesus is the one who the realm of the dead didn't have any hold on because he's the one who invented life. He was only there because he wanted to be, because he chose to be. This Jesus, who you thought you crucified, who you thought was still in a tomb, is no longer there. Actually, he resurrected from the dead. And there's about 120 people behind me who have talked to him, who have seen him with their own eyes, who have poked his arm and feet holes, who ate fish on a beach with. People that have seen him. We're we're eyewitnesses to this. It's not just me. I'm not just crazy. Like, all these people right back here. We've seen the risen Jesus. And you know what that means? This risen Jesus. God, God has proven that this Jesus is, in fact, both your Lord, your God, and your Messiah. The one you've been waiting for. The one you've been hoping for. The one who is going to fulfill all of God's promises. The one who you've been anticipating since the very beginning when sin entered the story. That is the one you killed on a cross. Oh, no. I was a third child. I have had those moments before. The oh no. I just realized that I've done something that I wish I could undo and I cannot undo it. Never quite to the level of killing God. You know, just not quite there. Maybe my parents are like, well, it was close. Um, no, not even close. You felt that. How much more than being told that you killed this Jesus, this one that was foretold from the very beginning? Oh, no. You might expect what their next question was. What do we do? Okay, we believe you. We're tracking with you. You explained it pretty well. Way to go. What do we do? There's no hope. We messed up. We screwed up. Is there, can we do, do over? Is there? What's the solution to this problem that we've created? And think about this for just a minute. Think about the fact that those very people who yelled Barabbas, those very people who said crucify him, those very people who wanted to pretend they could walk back into Jerusalem 50 days later and act like they're worshiping God, the God who had sent this Jesus, those same people were being something, being offered something they didn't deserve at all. They were about to be offered something that they did not deserve at all. They were not only sinners. They were literal enemies of God. Romans reminds us that we're all sinners, and we're all at some level enemies of God before we are changed by his spirit. But these people opposed Jesus to his face. They were in the crowd where there were people saying his blood be on our heads. His blood be on our children's heads. That's pretty significant. That's a pretty damning blow, if you ask me. And then God, in his infinite wisdom, knowing that all this was going to go down in the way that it went down, looked at them and offered them something that they didn't deserve. I don't know if you're hearing this and tracking this. If you're new here, if you're not somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're not somebody who's put your faith in Jesus, maybe the Spirit is piercing your heart as we speak. Those kind of people who killed Jesus were offered the love of God, were offered forgiveness by God, were offered the very presence of God, the very Spirit of God. I don't know what it is you think you've done that's so horrible. I don't know what it is you've done that makes you think you don't deserve the love of God or you could never be welcomed into a church. I can assure you there's nothing that you've done quite to the level of piercing the hands and the feet of Jesus, even if it was our sins that held him there. Even you. Are somebody who is loved by God. Even you is somebody who that the Spirit can work within. Even you is somebody that the Spirit can show his presence forever toward. And so, what is the answer? What shall we do, Peter? He looks at them and he says this simple phrase. You've probably memorized it or at least heard it. Repent and be baptized you believe the Spirit's piercing your heart even as we speak you're trusting this truth that I've spoken to you your next step is to to go all in make it official make your allegiance with King Jesus make him your king make him your Lord your God your Savior repent turn away from your old way of thinking turn away from your old life and follow him Be baptized. You you saw it this morning. We got to see it twice in first service. Praise be to God that every day more are being brought to his church. But you saw it. Baptism is this beautiful thing that we see throughout the New Testament as this commanded and expected next step for those who put their faith in Jesus. It's this beautiful, simple, it's this beautiful, mysterious moment in which you go down into the water, and it's like you're dead to sin, just as Jesus was dead and buried in the tomb, and as you're raised up into a new life in Jesus, it's like you have been given a new life. You're initiated into the family of God. You're initiated into the church of God. And you come out of these waters with forgiveness and with the spirit dwelling in you. And praise be to God that people like you and me, God has saw fit to give us something that we don't deserve. Something like his love. Something like his forgiveness. Something like his spirit. It must have been a a pretty amazing moment. To hear that even though you had killed Jesus just a few weeks before, you were now being offered love by that Jesus. Life by that Jesus. Here's what it says in verse 39 This promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This is for us. It's for us sinners. It's for us, Gentiles. It's for us, Jews. It's for us, enemies of God. It's for us, for as many as the Lord our God will call. And then, with many other words, he, Peter, testified strongly and urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So, those who accepted this message were baptized that day. About 3,000 people were added to them. It's amazing. 3,000 people heard the truth of the gospel on this Pentecost 1,990 years ago and they decided to go all in with Jesus. The Spirit worked in their life, transformed their life and things were gonna get messy for them all the way forward. It's an amazing thing when the Spirit comes and does what the Spirit does. Throughout the story of the Old Testament, the Spirit comes and creates And sustains life. You see it in Genesis 1. Hovering over the surface of the water. Where there was not life. The spirit was going to come and make life. You see it in Genesis 2. When a clump of dirt becomes a clump of cells. And then God through his breath. Through his wind. Through his spirit. Breathes into a man. And makes a created in his image being. You see it in Genesis chapter 8. When there's this great flood and then the wind, the breath of God goes out and new life is made. You see it when different people in the Old Testament are empowered for specific times and specific purposes to do something for God. But now something new has changed. A new covenant has come. The Spirit is going to dwell within us. Here's how the New Testament talks about what the Holy Spirit does, that the Holy Spirit is actually what gives you life, yes, but it gives you new life. That valley of dry bones in which the Spirit of God would be breathed into, that's like us. We were dead in the trespasses of our sins. Dead, maybe physically walking around like zombies, but spiritually dead, cut off from God. No hope outside of God himself acting. And then God did act because he's rich in mercy. And what he did is he made us alive together with him. He offered us, me and you, something we didn't deserve. And now if you put your faith in this Jesus, you too can have forgiveness of sins. You too can have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You too can be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You can not only be regenerated, but you can have your mind transformed. Your desires made new. That actually one of the things that Paul says about the Holy Spirit is that when the Holy Spirit comes into you, you're released from your bondage to sin. We no longer have to sin. Though the presence of sin remains, its power in our life is no more. We, we have the power to actually defeat sin in our life. We don't do it very well because of our own wicked desires, our flesh competing with what the Spirit is wanting to do in our life, but we have that power. Actually, Romans 8 says, the same Spirit that raised this Jesus from the dead now lives in you. Think about that. That Jesus, the author of life, buried in a tomb, that that very Spirit that in, <laughs> recomposed him, gave him new life, gets to come and live in you. That's amazing. It's something that we take advantage of. It's something that we don't celebrate enough. It's probably something we don't talk about enough or understand well enough. Because if we did, I think our lives would look much different. If we fully understood what it means that the presence of God was in us, I think our lives would look different. I think our church might look different. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through Forty-seven give us insight as to what this first community of believers may have been like. It gives us insight to what they were committed to, what they were devoted to, what, what they spent their days doing, and it actually becomes a pretty good template for what we do. If you're new here, maybe there's no better Sunday that you could have come than this day. Because this is the kind of day where you get to not only hear about the faith that we have in this Jesus, but you get to understand a little bit of insight as to why we do church the way we do. I've had a lot of conversations with with people who are interested in making Sunnybrook, in particular, their church home. And we answer a lot of questions about what we believe. We, we answer a lot of questions about why we do things and why we say things. And a lot of that is because when we open up the scriptures, these are the things we find. That they, these first Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The reason I'm standing here. The reason every Sunday somebody stands here. The reason why we have classrooms full of Bible teachers up and down our hallways is because we are devoted as they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the scriptures, to the truth of God's word. We're devoted to the fellowship. This thing, if you've been here, you've heard us talk about go, gather, and grow. The reason we're so devoted to gathering is because of this. These early Christians were in fellowship in koinonia with one another, they, they had all things in common. They were united in mind and in heart, Acts chapter 4 says. They had fellowship, and it's something they were devoted to. It's something they wanted to protect. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. and Yeah, probably random meals, but more particularly, the, Luke, the author of Acts, uses that image, the breaking of bread, to remind us of the communion. Where Jesus says, I have given my body and I have given my blood to start a new covenant so that you can have life in me. Don't forsake this. Continue to do this so we continue to do this. And they devoted themselves to prayer. We are a praying people, church. Yes, corporately, we make it our aim to every time we come in this building for corporate worship to pray together. But we're also individually a praying people. In small groups, a praying people. In families, a praying people. Amongst friends, we are a praying people because we believe God hears us. And in some mysterious way, God responds to us. We're a praying people. Verse 43. It says that everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Because as we know, at particular times in the redemptive story, God would do amazing things. He said it just a few verses earlier. God the Father attested who Jesus was through these signs, through these miracles that he was doing. There are times, sure, in the story where it seems like God is silent. In the book of Samuel, it says, "And the word of the Lord was rare in those days." There's actually a period of time uh, right about here uh, where there was 400 years of silence. We didn't have the prophets. We didn't see the miracles. We we get that. There are certain times and certain places where it doesn't seem like some of these outward physical miracles are happening as much. But at the birth of the church, through these apostles, they were happening. Because God was confirming what he was doing. Can he still do them today? Yeah. God can do what he wants. Don't, Don't forget that. God can and will do what he wants. There are many people in this world who, because the gospel's been cut off to them, they have a dream of one in white. Teaching them things they've never heard before, but as they go and meet with others, they realize are from these scriptures. God is not limited by our own systematic theologies, but we are aware of the fact that God does different things at different times and different places for different purposes. These people, these early Christians saw amazing things as an affirmation that God was establishing his church. Verse 44, now all the believers were together. They held all things in common. They had a unity. They had a fellowship. They sold their possessions and property and distributed to the proceeds of all as any had need. You wonder maybe, why do we take up an offering every Sunday? Why are we going to have trees in the lobby for all of December? Why are we going to take up another offering for a church halfway around the world? Because God has been generous to us. Because Jesus has sacrificed himself for us. We are a generous people. As we see a need, it's in our heart to meet a need. Because we know how much God has given us. From our very life to our small possessions. All of it is something that has been gifted to us by God. And we hold it loosely, we hold it openly, being willing to sacrifice, being willing to be generous because that is what the people of God are like. We are a generous people. We are a sacrificial people. Verse 46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. Hebrews chapter 10 says, do not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. How do you think we're going to be a family if you never show up at the family gathering? We need you. We need you, and we don't just need you, we want you. If all you're doing is showing up once a quarter, Christmas and Easter, once, it's hard for us to know you, to do life alongside you, to, to, to love you, for you to love us. It's, it's difficult for us to do life alongside each other if we never spend time with each other. To assume that we can have true fellowship and unity because we show up for an hour on a Sunday occasionally is craziness. They didn't, they devoted themselves. They they were committed to meeting together because they saw each other as family, because Jesus himself redefined family boundaries as those who do the will of his Father, as those who have been made new by his blood. And so they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food, listen to these two words, with joyful and sincere hearts. Brothers and sisters, If your life at some level is not marked by joy, if it's not marked by some level of of happiness, you're not living in step with the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Yes, we mourn. Yes, we grieve because we live in a world where sin is still around, death is still around, and we believe and we hope that it is going to be done away with soon, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. But we also believe that there is a peace which transcends our circumstances because of Jesus. That because of the spirit that dwells in us, there's something different about the way that we live That there is a marked joy in our life that we can attain by walking in step with the Spirit. We are to be a joyful, a happy, a sincere-hearted people. And finally, verse 47, we are praising people. We sing, even though we're, you know, some of us not good at it. And I'm among those, so I'm not casting any stones. Uh, We're maybe not the best singers. There are some amazing singers in here. I am not one of them. So sorry, all of you in this section uh, that's about to happen today. We are a praising people, not because we sound good, but because the one we praise is good. We're a singing people, not because we like the song that somebody chose. We're a singing people because God deserves it. Far be it from me to cheer on Bellum without being willing to raise my voice for the Lord. Story. I'm not going to tell that story. I don't have time. Uh, I used to be that guide. We'll say that. We are a praising people because God deserves our praise every day. The Lord added to their number those who are being saved. Next week, we are going to have the joy of hearing from Brother Drew Henderson about the outward nature, the mission of God going out. It seems like, praise be to God, more and more are coming into these waters because they're putting their faith in Jesus. It seems like more and more people are coming here, and the Lord's going to do with that what he will. We're just going to try to be faithful. It is our desire to be a people who... Just as we're generous with the things we've been given tangibly, we are generous with the gospel we've been given. We're courageous because we want more people to experience the love of Christ. We want more people to experience peace with God. We want more people to understand what it is to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We are a people that prays that every day more and more people would be added to our number. So what do we do? That was the question they asked after they realized their mistake, and there was an answer for that. So what do we do? For some of you, it's not that complicated. For some of you, it has been my prayer that the Holy Spirit would pierce your heart. Acts chapter 16, I believe, there's a woman who is communicated the gospel to, and it says that the Lord opened her heart to receive Paul's teaching. It is my heart, whether this is the first time you've come or you've come many times, that as a result of hearing the truth of Jesus, hearing the truth of the gospel, your heart would be pierced and your heart would be opened that you would repent and believe in Jesus. That you would submit your life to him. That you'd be willing to be baptized into his name. That is my prayer. That is what you do. If you've not done that, if you've not made a confession to follow Jesus, there is no other next step until you have made that next step, and we want to help you with that. For the rest of us, brothers and sisters, what do we do? My encouragement is to do what many of you are doing more and more. There are so many of you who faithfully engage at this church. So many of you who sacrifice your time, so many of you who sacrifice your money, so many of you who pray, so many of you who are committed to the apostles' teaching. There are so many of you to do this, and so do so more and more and train up your friends and your family, your neighbors to do the same. And for those of you those of you who do have the spirit but are not engaging in the life of the church, either because of brokenness in your past or maybe some laziness that has crept in, it is my challenge and encouragement to you to engage. The church can be messy. It can be broken because I'm messy and I'm broken and you're messy and you're broken, but it is worth fighting for. It's worth enduring the difficulty because fighting for the unity is maybe one of the greatest tasks that we can set our mind to, set our hearts to. We're going to be spending eternity with each other. It'd be great if we can learn how to live a few years together, side by side, encouraging each other, seeing each other's gifts flourish for our benefit, our mutual benefit, and for the sake of the lost around us. We need you. We want you. So please, please engage with us. Please endure with us as we do our best to submit to the apostles' teaching and submit our lives to the spirit that dwells in us. The final response for right now is to break bread. For those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, who have the forgiveness of sins, who have the Holy Spirit dwell within them, those of you who have been initiated through baptism, we get to break bread together. Remember the body that was given to us, and so we eat. And we remember the blood that was spilled for us, and so we drink.